Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. So Bruce Arian has a plan for Jameis Winston and how to fix him and get rid of so many turnovers. You'll hear him tell you that plan for part of my exclusive interview with Arians in just a minute. And by the way, he was at the Lightning game on Saturday. He even got a jersey from John Cooper. What a weekend for the Bolts. They break out of an offensive slump with a 5-4 win over Pittsburgh and kind of a bruising game. Then they turn around and beat Florida 5-2 in Sunrise on Sunday. Ryan Callahan, by the way, who has played in only two of the seven games since the All-Star break with a big goal. Hey, did you watch the uh, Alliance of American Football this weekend? Well, a lot of people did. The Orlando Apollos, they beat the Atlanta Legends 40-6 to as Steve Spurrier makes another successful debut. There were some cool things about the league, like big hits and hearing the replay official talk through a decision. But it was football, and it outdrew the marquee game in the NBA. Finally, we were at Rays Fan Fest on Saturday, thanks to all the people that stopped by and said hello and how much they enjoy this podcast. Had a chance to talk to several of the Rays players, including Matt Duffy and Charlie Morton, and along with uh, pitching coach Kyle Snyder, we'll be playing some of those interviews uh, over the next couple weeks as the Rays get started with spring training. That's uh, later this week, as a matter of fact, with pitchers and catchers. So we'll bring you those as well. We've got all of that and more on this Monday edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Verstick. I mentioned how this podcast is growing, and if you would like uh, to help us grow your business as well, we'd love to have you as a sponsor. A lot of our sponsors are seeing great results, and we hope you will too. We'd love to have you as part of our team. Now, here's what you do if you'd like to sponsor uh, part of this podcast. Contact us on Twitter at Sports Day Tampa Bay. Or you can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We would certainly love to have you as a sponsor. Okay, Steve, so you were at a lightning watch party. I was not, so that meant that I got to stay home and watch the Grammys, which you didn't get to see. I did not see the Grammys this year. I missed it again. (laughs) Again. I know it's it's, it's, uh, in in your household, it's probably demand viewing. Actually, the Grammys is the one award show I will watch if I'm I'm around. Because you actually see artists perform, and and I don't, the the awards themselves, I don't care, but you actually see performances and artists. You know, you'll see some collaborations with people you normally wouldn't see. So I actually, exactly. I do enjoy the, that part of the Grammys when I'm around, if I'm if I'm home. Yeah, and it, it is one of the better shows, and, and um, it, it is one that, like you mentioned, you you do see those collaborations, and they had those uh, certainly on Sunday night. The, Alicia Keys was the host, and I don't know what your opinion is of Alicia Keys. I she's incredibly talented. Mm-hmm. I I did want to mention this one thing though. She, to me, this was the best part of the show. She did this number where she finally, she wasn't just the host, but she actually performed. And um, she sang some songs. And But the coolest thing was that she sat between two pianos and played them both at the same time. What? Yeah. It, it was. I mean, it was remarkable. It was just like, I mean, the left hand and the right hand and the whole deal. I mean, it, I, I, it blew me away. It blew a lot of musicians away and just people in general. But she's fantastic. And then she would, you know, turn to one and then the other. But... 
the point of this was that I just wanted our listeners to know uh, that that I am one of the few people that can relate to Alicia Keys because, as you know, I was able to record Jameis Winston and type the interview at the same time. <laughs> That's true. So I, I really, I really related to the level of difficulty that she's had that everyone's commented on. It was like, oh, that's nothing. So I'm going to start calling you Alicia Keys then. <laughs> well, eh, you got the keys on the, on the keyboard, of course. It's like I'm Rick Keys, if you will, it, eh, that kind of thing. But um, it, was, it was a good show. That's the best part of it if you get a chance to, uh, to watch it back on the highlights or whatever. Um, there were a lot of good performances and things like that, but that was uh, that was particularly personal to me. I, I, I related to that. <laughs> Back on the serious stuff. So I had a chance, as you know, we're, we've been kind of like playing uh, little drips and drabs of, uh, of this uh, larger Bruce Arians interview that you will hear one day that's about 50 minutes long. But uh, uh, one of the interesting parts, and I wrote about this in the Tampa Bay Times on Sunday, if you have a chance to go to tampabay.com uh, and read it, was – uh, Bruce talking specifically uh, about Jameis Winston. And we know, you know, obviously the reason he is here, uh, part and parcel, is that he's the quarterback whisperer, if you will, although we've established he doesn't really whisper that much, but um, with the quarterbacks he's had, and he's here to save Jameis Winston. I mean, this is what um, they brought a guy like Bruce in for. It's why he came out of retirement. He, he knew the GM, Jason Light. He was able to get all his most of his coaches back from Arizona and other places that he'd worked with. And the biggest thing for him was the quarterback who he has known since eighth grade, uh, well-documented about him going to, you know, Bruce's uh, or his son's camp in Birmingham, Alabama, back when he was a middle schooler or a freshman in high school. And, and Jay Boo at that time was well-known throughout Alabama. And um, this is a guy he's followed and, and, and really believes in. So I had a chance to talk to Bruce a little bit about, you know, his plan and specifically sort of what he thought he would do to, to help Jameis, to change him, uh, to eliminate the turnovers. The biggest thing, I think, from Jameis's game that if you could, you know, if you could say, well, if we could fix this, right, would be how does he protect the football better? Because I think everything else, you know, is obviously something that, uh, that he's going to progress and get better at. In other words, um, he works at his craft. It's, it's, you know, there's nothing wrong with his habits. He's a gym rat. He loves ball. Uh, he's in there early. Uh, he's getting better at, at reading defenses. Uh, you know, he's getting better uh, at understanding sort of what his role is in the game. Um, I, I think that uh, you know he's getting better as a leader. I think the the rah rah stuff has 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 changed to uh, more individual conversations that he has. Um, you know, and we know what he went through last year with the suspension and all. And I think that set him back, as well as the fact that you know the whole Fitzpatrick Ryan Fitzpatrick thing um, that that you know as opposed to Arians who comes in and says, look, this is your team. I believe in you. You're the guy. Um, but, but there are the turnovers that is a very real part of what Jameis Winston has or has not been throughout his career. And, you know, he's been coached hard before. I mean, I, I think we have to agree that it's not like Lovey Smith or Dirk Cutter just turned a blind eye to the fact that he turned the ball over. I mean, he's had 58 interceptions and 18 uh, lost fumbles over the past four seasons. And that's, you know, in terms of turnovers, that's the second most in the NFL during that, during that period. So, um, you know, it's, it's not as if this is a new occurrence. I mean, people have, you know, have tried to talk to him about it. And uh, at one point, I think, after the benching is when I think for the first time I, I felt like it really resonated with him that he came back as a different quarterback who uh, was was willfully not going to turn the ball over, would 
would turn down throws, ran the ball a lot more effectively, made quicker decisions, you know, got the ball out of his hand quicker, or if he, if he was going to run, um, you know, he took off and got what he could. And, and you saw that over his last six games. I think he had 11 touchdown passes and only three interceptions, which is, you know, a ratio that you could certainly live with in the NFL. And, and his, team, his team played much better. And, and, and I think, you know, uh, as the, the results were there as well from a team standpoint after he uh, made that determination. So, you know, assuming he can pick up from there. Now, there are some, you know, there, there, there are two. Every turnover has a story, right? But there are parts of it that are mechanical that Bruce Arians thinks uh, he can work on. And then there's, you know, there's the larger macro part of, of just where the team is. And, you know, when you examine all the games as Clyde Christensen, his quarterback's coach, and I'm sure Byron Leftwich have gone back. Now they've watched, you know, four years, every game starting with his rookie year on, on until uh, the end of last season. And so they're really trying to get a feel for what his progression was, where, you know, where he may have uh, you know, gotten some bad habits and, and, and sort of an idea of how the games went as well. So that's, what, that's sort of been their, their task over these last few weeks. So I had a chance to talk to Bruce, and I thought it was an interesting uh, conversation. This is probably a little less than four minutes long of our, of our longer chat, but this is just about Jameis and sort of what, what Bruce Arians uh, thinks he can do and where he would start, and, and why he thinks, uh, you know, Jameis has had some trouble with turnovers over these last four years. Let's, let's listen to Bruce first, my conversation with him, and then we'll pick it up afterwards. When you look at Jameis and you see, you've, obviously we know the story with, with you seeing him when he was in middle school and following him through college and, and you played against him, but the turnover is a real thing. It's mm-hmm. not imagined. I mean, he... The numbers are there, whether it's fumbles and and yet you know you also see just absolute brilliance at times where you just go, that's special. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. how do you? I mean, it's going to be a process, obviously. But like, is that the number one thing? Is yeah, trying to harness I mean, I've that? Studied, I've studied a bunch of them. Yeah, Clive's watched every throw. Yeah, he's made since his rookie year, and Byron too. And it's like you're trying to look safeties off too long, and your feet across. So, so much of it's mechanical. Other is, they're down 21 points. Anybody down 21 is going to throw a pick or two. And he's down 21 a bunch. He is. So it's like, phew, He phew. is. And you know, throw 50 times every game. It's not a good recipe. No. They're good. You're going to throw picks. Tip ball, bad balls. Sure. Hit, throwing. Bad you know, routes, whatever, yeah. You think you can make everything. And give him a running game. You know, give him a defense. Yeah. And see how good he can be. Yeah. Yeah. I think we can. I think we can limit. Never get rid of them. Nobody ever does it. Sure. You know, uh, very limit turnovers. Mm-hmm. And you talk about it. Mm-hmm. You talk a bunch about it on the practice field, and that's when it gets ugly. What the f- was that? Yeah. You know. Uh, so, yeah. But his, and I like to call it driving range, taking them to the range. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clyde is one of the best, uh, and we'll go to the range 30 minutes a day, just footwork and drills and throwing off balance and, and making these throws that you don't get to stand there and throw like this. Oh, yeah, over the top every time, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and one of the great feelings as a coach is you do a drill, and all of a sudden in the game you see a guy, oh, it's exactly what we practiced on Wednesday. You know, and the guy, the guy can do it now. Mm-hmm. That's coaching. Mm-hmm. 
You don't have to worry about him working. He, he's a oh, gym rat. Yeah. I mean, everybody knows that. He yeah, loves ball. He, he loves ball. He's here. I mean, yeah. he's got all the talent in the world, so why can't he be successful? Mm-hmm. You know? He needs this. I don't know how to say this, but like swag is something that, that Jameis always played with. He was benched last year for the first time in his life. You, you've, you're around these guys who are always the best player, always the best athlete. Sometimes it takes, you know, being told this is professional football and you know what, nothing's guaranteed to you. It can scar you to where you can't recover or it can grit your teeth Mm -hmm. and show you, Mm -hmm. you know. And Mm -hmm. I I see the gritted teeth right now. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, he knows, that's why I said it public right, that's his team. Yeah, that's important. Believe in this guy. That's important. Yeah. Byron believes in this guy. Clyde believes in this guy. our whole coaching staff. Sure. Believes in this guy. And sure. Not, this is not my football team. That's our players' football. They'll be as good as they want to be. Right. I don't have no magic dust speech. Right. You know, I got. I talked to James this morning about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, so you and I are going to have hard conversations mm-hmm. um, about our football team. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're not a rookie. If, if so, when I come to you, I want honest answers. And, and we, we had those conversations already today. So it's interesting to me that, that Arians, you know, kind of hit on both sides. I mean, he, he obviously is going to coach Jameis hard. I think Jameis wants to be coached hard. He's talked about the mechanical part of it. Clyde Christensen, who I've known since, you know, he was a, a, a quarterback's coach and then later an offensive coordinator for Tony Dungy and then went and, and did the same job. Uh, with Peyton Manning in Indianapolis is a good fundamental type coach. So if Arian says, you know, they're going to get him on on the on the driving range as he called it, and really work on some of his mechanics and uh, you know whether it's looking the safeties off too long, but you know just just everything from from start to finish, I think that will help him. But the other part that 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 uh, you know is is sort of in the line of the Bear Bryant you know philosophy of his, which is coach them hard and then hug them later is that he is acknowledging that, look, Jameis has taken too much, I think in Bruce's opinion anyway, has taken too much blame for some of these turnovers in that this has not been a good football team for a number of years. It was a horrible football team when he was a rookie. It wasn't a great football team when he went 9-7. and seven, But it's not been too good the last two years, and he's been part of that. Um, but, Steve, I think he's saying, you know, look, when you don't have a, a guy that runs for a thousand yards or even, you know, close to it, when you don't have a defense that's, you know, ranked any higher for the most part, except for one year than like 25th, it's awfully hard to be a quarterback in this league, you know? And one of Jameis's strengths is the play action pass, which when you have no running game, exactly, you can't do that. That's such a good point because Jameis is a guy that you want to get away from the center, you know, um, He's, he's mobile enough, he's athletic enough, but he drives the ball. So you're not going to take three-step drops or one-step drops and throw the ball in rhythm, although he could do that, but that's not their offense. So, so you want to get him away in five- and seven-step drops, and to do that, you do. You, you have to freeze those linebackers to create those gaps between the linebackers and, and, and the back end, the safeties and whatnot, so you can work those receivers down the field because they want explosive plays, and that's where, he's, that's where he is good. So you're right. Without without a running game, I mean, I, I understand what Bruce is saying now. You know, he talked about you can't throw it 50 times. It wasn't that many games he threw 50 times. Um, he didn't win when he did for the most part. I think he won one of those games. But I went back and, and you know, sort of looked at it. I mean, he was – look, he was 2-5, and five, I think, last year in games that he had 30 or more passing attempts. So 
you know, where you really want to keep him is somewhere in the 25 to 30 range if you can. He was 3-8 and eight in games where he threw more than 30 times in 2017. And, uh, you know, there was a game, the last game of the season in 2017, he had 51 attempts, but he had just one touchdown and three interceptions, and they beat New Orleans on the last play of the game or last throw of the game. So it is not a good recipe in the NFL. I don't care what team you're talking about. When you see quarterbacks throw, you know, upwards of 30, 35, and certainly 50 times a game, it usually means you're behind so much that you're, you don't have a chance to win. And, and that, that part is true, I think, for any quarterback, but maybe more, more true for Jameis. And, and, you know, some of the things, too, is like early turnovers have contributed to them getting behind. You know, Jameis has put his defense in bad positions early in games. And, you know, that, that is one of the reasons why they haven't been successful. And when you fall behind, you have to abandon the running game. Maybe it's not that the running game wouldn't work, um, but certainly when, you, when you're contributing to, the, to getting behind like that, um, then, then you're, not helping your, you're not helping yourself because you've, you've taken the running option out of it and now you're in a two-minute situation pretty much the whole second half. So all of this is going to work hand-in-hand, hand, but I thought it was interesting to hear Bruce, as only Bruce can do, as you can imagine some of the language we took out. But, um, but he is, uh, he, it's going to be uh, a process I think is going to be really interesting I've talked to Clyde Christensen, who uh, thought that Jameis was extraordinary his rookie year, didn't play as well his second year. Actually, he thought he took a step back his second year, um, and that was the year that, uh, that he went 9-7. and seven. Uh, And then, of course, the last two years have not been very good, although when I talked to Clyde, he hadn't gotten to that tape yet. So, um, you know, we had the injury, of course, in 2017, played with that, probably shouldn't have. When he came back, he was better, and then last year, not so good after the suspension, but better after the benching. So uh, it's it's just been sort of uneven. And I think Bruce coming out, and I know this is important to Jameis because I talked to him at the Super Bowl about having a guy in his corner, you know. And I don't know that he ever really believed that Dirk Cutter was completely behind him. I mean, you know, Dirk was brought in as an offensive coordinator after Jameis was already here. Um, he, you know, he wasn't here to be asked his opinion per se. I mean, actually Dirk was his first offensive coordinator, but during that process of, of evaluating quarterbacks, that decision was made by Lovey Smith and Dirk knew more about Marcus Mariota and said so when he became head coach, that he was probably not the guy that was as fervently behind Jameis. And I don't know that that, you know, that there was ever a certain level of trust that could be, that could be made between those two. So um, but, but Bruce comes in and says, you're our guy. I don't even know if they're going to have a backup or anybody that, you know, whether it's going to be Fitz or anybody else that's going to be challenging Jameis. But this is his team. So that's important to Jameis, and he said so. And I've talked to him about it. He's told other people about that. So we'll see. Just interesting to, uh, to hear Bruce talk about him that way. Okay, speaking of football, uh, the Alliance of American Football over the weekend did a, uh, a better-than-expected debut on television in particular and I was listening or watching actually the comments on Twitter because I was watching the lightning who we'll get to in a minute I did not watch uh, much I saw some highlights of uh, the game that the uh, the Apollos had over in Orlando with Steve Spurrier um, at the helm who's now 6-0 and by the way I think in debuts for pretty much everywhere he's been in his entire life including the Redskins what I could gather from it was this there is in this country even one week after the Super Bowl, an appetite for football, like no other sport. I can't explain it. People will watch it. They seem they seem maybe out of curiosity, whatever. 
you know, the level of play, I think, was probably higher than most people anticipated. You know, I mean, Bill Polian has been a big part of this league and some others that, you know, come from the NFL. They know what it's supposed to look like. They've gotten some pretty good coaches in this league, I think, guys that uh, that were available that have decided to coach, like Spurrier, for example. Um, and I, I think that, you know, just the aesthetics of it were pretty good. Um, the games, you know, were quick. There were some different rules. You saw a lot of hitting. You saw some blasted quarterbacks that, you know, in the NFL, those guys would have been probably ejected or, you know, had their annual paycheck taken away from them after some of those hits. But um, it was it was a good product. It was not, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't the NFL. Let's be clear about that. But for people who just love football, those guys got after it, you know, and, and, and the level of play was was better, I think, than most people expected. I didn't get a chance to see much either. I'm kind of like you. I saw a lot of the highlights, but you know, from following you know people on Twitter and reading everything that, you know, this was a pleasant surprise so far. Yeah. Um, now that, that, exceeded expectations. Now whether they continue that into week two, week three, week four, we'll see. Sure. The big question is this that I have, and you know, they're they're not really the NFL is is not invested in this league. They don't have any financial uh, ties to it. They don't have any control of it from that standpoint. They do broadcast their their games on the NFL Network, which I thought is very interesting because if they saw it as a threat or, you know, like the USFL was at one time, um, certainly that would not be the case. They would not be helping to to build the popularity or the exposure of this league. What I think the NFL sees is value to it from a developmental standpoint. Now, this is where it gets tricky because they're, they're not partners with this league yet other than broadcast. And so... I'll say this. I know of, <laughs> off the top of my head, two Super Bowl winning quarterbacks that probably would not have been where they were had it not been for what at that time was the World League of American Football, which was an NFL product. It was a league that was entirely financed by the National Football League. Um, if you remember the you know the endeavors over to Berlin and London and Frankfurt and different places in Europe, but uh, Kurt Warner. And Brad Johnson really both got their starts there. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brad Johnson was a 10th-round pick, you know, out of Florida State. Was not even a starter at Florida State. He played behind Casey Weldon. Of course, he went on to play for the Minnesota Vikings and the Redskins and then won a Super Bowl with the Bucks. Kurt Warner had played, you know, for the Iowa Barnstormers in the, uh, the Arena League and also played in, uh, in the World League of American Football and got a chance uh, with the Packers and eventually the Rams and, of course, won a Super Bowl. And they will tell you that that those experiences, uh, the ability to get out there and play and and be evaluated were probably what what led to any success they had in the NFL. And so I I especially think at the quarterback position where, you know, the CBA rules prevent these guys from coming into even to the building um, before the middle of April, where they used to have quarterback orientations. Uh, They used to have a lot of times where, you know, you could spend time with those guys. And then, of course, the rest of the position players like offensive linemen who are coming out of college that have never been in a three-point stance, have never heard a play called in a huddle. You know, you can't have any, any contact until you get to training camp at the earliest when you're in pads. And so it's really, you know, so much of that is hard to develop linemen, hard to develop quarterbacks and, and a chance for just young guys that might fall through the cracks because, you know, once the regular season starts, and, and this is one of the reasons I think you know Bruce has talked about having, you know, two separate practices, especially in OTAs, is that 
young guys don't get many reps. I mean, you might get six. And if you do, it could be with the scout squad team or the look squad team and not with your regular club. So how do you develop younger players? And you'd say, well, college football is the developmental league. And it is. That's where all the talent comes from. That's where the draft is, you know, sort of uh, originates from. But there are a lot of guys that get a shot but but kind of fall through the cracks of the NFL but are still potentially good players, particularly at the quarterback position. So, But I think this is a good thing for football and for the NFL. And, and if they can somehow harness this and, and, and find a kind of a symbiotic relationship, and I don't know if it ever becomes one that's more financial in nature, but uh, it, it's going to be good for players – to, to have an extra look, whether they're, they're guys that have been sort of given up on that were in the NFL, that were veterans, or maybe young kids that, you know, went into rookie camps or mini camps and got cut before they really had a chance to play much. Um, this, this can only help the game of football, in my opinion. Yes, I agree on that. Um, you know, it'll be interesting. You know, some of the rules are different, like you said, and, you know, from the hits and all that, which the NFL doesn't want and is taking right. out of the game. You know, how sure. does that evaluation of that happen? And, and you know, That's if, if it's going to be a developmental league and eventually maybe you're going to see even practice squad players go down and play at the AAF or something like that. But you mm-hmm. got a quarterback you're sending down there and they're taking helmet shots. You may <laughs> think twice point. about it. Too. So, I mean, there's some things that if the yeah. NFL is going to get involved with the AAF, there may be some changes yeah. or some tweaks to things, mostly to protect the NFL's interest. And, you know, and that, those are all great points. I think the other thing, too, is that, you know, there are some changes that the NFL might not be quite ready for in terms of rules changes, whether it's kickoffs or no kickoffs or, you know, whatever, um, you know, going for two or overtime, whatever that league evolves where you have a chance to kind of look at it and mm-hmm. see, you know, and, and, and sort of say, okay, you know what, I'm, now that I've seen it and I've seen it work at this level, Maybe we should do that in the league rather than, you know, try to experiment or well, that's what uh, baseball's done many... with pitch clocks in, in the minors. Absolutely. Hockey Absolutely. three on three overtime. That was started in the AHL and I maybe mm-hmm. even some of the juniors, but they tested it down there first to see before they put it in the NHL. Um, right. you know, that happens a lot in a lot of the sports. And the NFL doesn't really have a farm system for that. I mean yes, a lot of what the NFL does, college will kind of follow, but there's not that you can't just dictate, hey, we're gonna do these rules. Yeah, and I think there's a difference between college football and what you know those the majority of those players are there for, which is to get an education. And you hope, you know, many of them hope to move on to the NFL. Um, but let's face it; I mean, these guys that would be playing uh, in in these in this other league would be there as professionals. Their their you know their college career is over; they don't have any more eligibility. Um, so it's strictly you know you risk it and and. You know, you're not going to damage their college careers or whatnot. So I, I just think it's I, I think that it's a good now. Here, here's the big question with respect to its its viability, because you have to have networks that will broadcast it. And, and and then ideally you need to have people come to the games. Right. Will people be willing to pay for an inferior product? Because this is clearly not the NFL. These are not players that are currently playing at an NFL level or they would not be in this league in the AAF. So, you know, is this a novelty that, you know, a week after the Super Bowl, everybody's kind of like, ah, check it out. Hey, you know what? It's not as bad as I thought. Or is it something that's sustainable without any real stars? Um, Eventually, the USFL, uh, you know, started 
taking players away from the league had their own draft and then then all of a sudden there was a leverage deal against the NFL where you know they got Herschel Walker before the NFL did you know and um that's that's when it becomes adversarial and then everything goes goes haywire so we'll see just just how the I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me In a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. This other league is able to to stay in its lane, and then of course, what a year from now, next spring, you'll have the XFL, which I don't know where that fits in. But uh, in any event, um, interesting that uh, that there would be enough popularity in its in its inaugural week that it would outdraw you know, some premier NBA matchups in terms of television. It just shows you the power uh, that football has and, and the popularity that it has in this country. It'll be curious, too, if you remember, you know, granted this was, what, 15 years ago, whatever, when the XFL launched. Yeah. Their first week, the, the television ratings in that were through the roof. Mm-hmm. And it completely exceeded anyone's expectations. And then it every week it tailed off and tailed off more and sure, tailed off more. Sure. So it'll be interesting to see – how it happens now? The X. There, there were some other reasons for that with the XFL too, and ESPN did a tremendous thirty for thirty on. It, if you haven't seen it, um, mm-hmm. they, a couple years ago they put that out. But you know, it'll be interesting to see how the AAF does. I mean, I think they've exceeded most people's expectations for Week One, but can they sustain that? Can they continue to grow it? Will be that'll be the curious part. No, that and it's going to be important to grow it. Um, I don't think they have too many. What is it like? Is it, I I don't know that I should know this. I think it's like six teams. Maybe something like a six, six or, or eight, something like that. Yeah. Um, so not not too many, which which is good probably. But yeah, we'll see if it was a novelty. But anyway, for for people that were jonesing with no football, you know, that first weekend without football can be a shock to everyone's system. They at least had an outlet for it, and, and it looked like for the most part, people watched it. So there is, there is eight teams, eight teams, eight teams. Yep. So I was I personally, however, was watching uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning because I wanted to see. Um, this game Saturday night in particular. And tell me what you think about about this, Steve, since you're very close to the Lightning, um, literally close to them as you, as you produce most of their games. But so Pittsburgh comes in, and, of course, the last time these two teams met, it was a bloodbath <laughs> prior to Saturday. I mean, there were like – I think the Lightning had like 54 hits. 59 hits something. in 60 minutes. I mean, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, five on threes. And Cooper even predicted, he goes, I don't know how it's going to turn out. But I can predict there will probably be a, a, at least at least a couple five-on-threes tonight. Uh, and there were on Saturday. But I'll tell you what, my whole takeaway was this. As, as the standings are right now, and of course we're still a long way from the end of the season, but Pittsburgh is sitting there in the Eastern Conference with the eighth and final seed. And let me just assure you of a couple things. I don't think either team wants the season to end this way. I don't think the Lightning necessarily would want to play Pittsburgh in an opening round uh, series, and I'm pretty sure that Pittsburgh wouldn't want to play the Lightning in an opening round series. But boy, if there's a if there's a dangerous team lurking at the bottom of of the standings right now, it's got to be the Penguins because they're incredibly skilled. They've been there before. They have this edge now against the Lightning since the Lightning beat them in the playoffs a year ago. I tell you, these games are really really 
interesting and chippy and and for the most part pretty pretty damn close. Look, the Lightning are a more talented team than the Penguins. But anytime you have Sid Crosby on your team, he is always dang every shift it seems like they're getting a look. Sure. You're, it seems like they're getting a scoring opportunity, a scoring chance or good things are happening. I mean, you know, you can say what you want about Connor McDavid and he's a phenomenal player and I think eventually he'll be the best player in the league. I'll still take Sid Crosby over him. But they've also got getting Malkin. They've got mm-hmm. uh, Phil Letang, Kessel. Yeah, Phil, Ke- oh, Phil Letang Kessel. is phenomenal. Um, yeah, you know they're really missing Justin Schultz on their back end right now. Their defense isn't isn't right. good enough to win a cup right now. Um, and right. He got hurt early in the season, um, so they're struggling on defense still. I mean that's why they're you know languishing right now in the the second wild card spot, just a point ahead of Carolina and two ahead of Buffalo. They've got a lot of issues, but. Sid Crosby can make up a lot of those issues and, and help the players on the ice with him make up for that. And it's always a, it's always a feisty series. I mean, I, you know, I remember back to the uh, 2011 playoffs when the Lightning went to the Eastern Conference Finals and, and knocked out Pittsburgh in, in that round. And then, of course, Pittsburgh knocked them out of the Eastern Conference Finals two years ago uh, when they went on to win the Cup. So elite players on the ice for both teams. When you've got Malkin and Latang and Crosby, and then you've got Kucherov and Hedman and Stamkos, you've got elite players on both sides, which makes it fun. A lot of skill. A lot of skill on, on both those teams. And I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think the Lightning are better than Pittsburgh, and, and, a, and presumably a seven-game series would prove that. But at what price? You know, if you had to, if you had to handle them in the first five or six games uh, mm-hmm. of, of, of the playoffs – you may you may pay a you may pay a price physically for that or mentally or whatnot uh, that could could help hurt you down the line if in fact you were able to get out of that first round. So um, uh, credit to the Lightning for this one thing though, and I think Pittsburgh is one of those teams that have tried to do this. There, there have been plenty of teams this year try to challenge the Lightning physically, and I saw a stat where they've had the Lightning have had over three hundred more hits at this point in the season than they did a year ago. Mm-hmm. Think about that. So, if teams are trying to challenge them, it's not working because the Lightning are way more physical than they've been in the past. This has been a narrative on the Lightning for many seasons now that they're not physical enough, that they can't handle a physical series. And for the most part, I mean, think about, you know, when they started this run, you know, four or five seasons ago, the Detroit series, back to back seasons right. that, you know, right. oh, you know, the Lightning can't handle the Detroit's physicality. And they took those hits, and they were dishing them out just as much. And they got past Detroit both those years. Is that people will point to the Washington Capitals series last year. And Washington was very physical, but that wasn't why they lost the series. They lost the series because Washington was executing everything they did better than the Lightning did. Mm-hmm. From passing to – it wasn't just the hitting that, that caused the Lightning problems. They executed getting out of their defensive zone better. They executed getting through the neutral zone. They executed mm-hmm. the passing. They executed better than the Lightning did in that series, which is why they ended up winning in seven games. Although the Lightning had every shot in the world. I mean, they were down 2-0 and then up 3-2 in the series. I, I would agree with you, and I, I think that narrative has, uh, has been a false one, and I think, I think it's, it's backed now by the 300 more hits that they've had already this season. Well, and I think if you look at the roster, too, with Adam Ernie on the roster – Cedric Paquette's been healthy this year. Eric Chernak on the back end adds a lot of physicality. Mm-hmm. Um, he can erase people with checks. Um, you know, they, they have added a little more, you know, grit to the, to the team, I think. It, but, but not losing skill either. I mean, Chernak's very skilled. Adam Ernie's very skilled. But they have a little more grit than maybe they've had in the past few years. 
They definitely have. And and they've you know, they've they've solved some of the problems that they had a year ago and one of those is is the penalty kill. They've now killed off their last 11 straight penalties. Um that remains one of the top units and um and and I think a big reason faceoffs we talked about before how they're much better than that. And that's that's through work and through coaching and uh the players, you know, willingness to try to improve that that part of their game and and they really have uh, the the Pittsburgh game though um, was was really interesting because once again, Andre Vasilevsky, honest to goodness, some of the saves this guy comes <laughs> up with is it, if you didn't see him all the time, you would think that it was just a miracle. You know that he just flops over there and throws the glove up, and the stick is one way, and how you know just took a shot. I mean, you can't you can't even script sort of like if you were doing a movie about okay, here's where you. They're they're just unbelievable. I mean, he, the guy's unbelievable, and yet they they needed every one of those saves to win five to four against Pittsburgh the other night. And God bless them. I mean, where would they be without this guy? He is he is fantastic. I don't know that there's you don't go to watch a guy necessarily goaltend, but I think if there's any team that you do that for, it's the Lightning. You know, Brian Engelbaum the other night kept pointing out that he's as close to Dominic Hasek as as you'll find. It's a good comparison, definitely in today's yeah. game of. You know, throw the stick, just do whatever it takes to stop a puck. Yeah, As, you know, but he's still so calm back there. Even even when he's when he's yes. looks like he's out of control, he really isn't. I mean, it, it's no, it's remarkable what he what he's done, and, and still how young he is, and and he's still getting better all the time. I mean, that's the scary part of him is he's not. I don't. He hasn't his peak yet. Jeez. I mean, he's still what twenty three, twenty four. I I don't remember oh, yeah. his exact age, but. You know, he's, well, he's played one full season. I mean, let's put it that way. I mean, this is this would be mm-hmm. the second full season, that, and he was hurt a good portion of this one. But I mean, really, he was a starter for one full season prior to this year. Mm-hmm. And and you, Which, you know, you also say, what would the Lightning be without Vasilevsky? What would they be about without Louis Domingue, who now is the franchise record holder for most consecutive victories at ten? <laughs> he's been great. I mean, you don't want to lose. Obviously, you don't want to lose Andre. Uh, for for the playoffs or any extended period, but if you did, uh, Louis Domingue has been nails, and he was he was that way when when uh, Bassey was out, and he and and he continues on that same uh, level uh, even when he's not playing, except every third or fourth or fifth day, uh, and of course the back to back he got that chance at Florida on Sunday night. Um, he, you know they win five to two, another good performance by Domingue. Um, you mentioned it. I mean. How many consecutive wins is this now for him? A ten. That's a franchise record. Ten straight wins. Wow, that's incredible. It really is. And and I mean, what what confidence do you have when you have, you know, somebody that you can put in there and and give give Vassie a rest on on a back to back and and not lose, really not lose a beat. I mean, he does it a different way, but um, he's still very effective. And um, look, they they're playing well. And and for those those that were the least bit concerned about uh, like like maybe even me, uh, that they weren't scoring many goals. I think they had seven goals in four games or five games or mm-hmm. something like that over a period. And then now they're back, uh, of course, with ten goals over the last games, including uh, you know some, an empty netter. But I, I think that, you know, the, the, the great thing about their offense, like, and I heard, I, I don't know who was talking about this on uh, one of the Lightning uh, pregame or postgame shows, is that, uh, and it's true, I thought they made a good point, that, and it might have been Michigan even talked about it, you don't worry about them scoring. You know, there's going to be times when maybe you don't score four goals a game as they have for so many times this year. 
but this isn't something that needs fixed. In other words, this was an easy fix. I think the fix was they obviously needed to shoot more. They got into this thing where, you know, from time to time where they're passing up some shots. And uh, I think they got more aggressive and put more pucks on the net and, and some things happened and then they're right back where they should be. And, and of course, you know, you, you want to see the depth of the scoring that, um, that they've had all year. Um, but the offense should not be something you worry about with this team. If it were penalty kill, if there was something structurally that was wrong, and, of course, the penalty kill is great right now, that might be a harder fix. But we should really never worry, worry about the Lightning scoring goals for very long. And, uh, and that's easy to say when you, when you remember uh, game six and seven of last year of the Eastern Conference Finals when they scored none. Um, but again, you mentioned that was just Washington sort of executing better and, and, and a couple chances that maybe the lightning, you know, had opportunities that they didn't vary, but you know, that was then, and this is now. And so I think it's clear that that scoring is not going to be their issue. No, I, th- I think the things, you know, look, if there's things you're going to worry about this lightning team, to me, it's, it's the way they execute coming out of the defensive zone at times, mm-hmm. you know, when they start making, a lot of blind passes in their own zone and leading to turnovers sure. and turnovers, glorious yeah. chances. I mean, that's where they get into trouble is when they try to get a little too fancy there. And when they start passing up, you know, quality shots, trying to get the perfect shot instead of just putting it on the net and chasing. Um, right. you know, those are the two things that, that worry me about this team. I think, you know, the penalty kill has been fantastic. The power play is fantastic. They can score. They can play defense when they're, when they're committed to it. But sometimes it's coming out of their zone once they have the puck that it doesn't worry you, but they get a little, I don't want to say careless because that's not the right word, but they'll get a little fancy and, and try, to make, try to do a little too much instead of just getting the puck out of the zone. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're trying to make the perfect pass or the, you know, try, the cross-ice passes. You know, that's where they can really get into trouble and, and lead to turnovers, and then those can become glorious scoring chances. So, Well, they're right back where they want to be uh, after these two wins over the weekend. So um, I, I got to feel like they're feeling pretty good yeah. about themselves. they got got some guys nicked up right now. Yeah, but. Kucherov sta- snapped a 10-game goalless streak uh, with two mm-hmm. goals against Florida. Stammer had a, a beautiful goal on a, a nice feed from – from Kucherov there. And then how about Ryan Callahan's breakaway goal? He was robbed the other night on a breakaway when he got in the game. And this time he buried it. Fantastic for Callahan and especially uh, the situation he's in as, as sort of, you know, the odd man out, if you will Um, mention, you know, he played just uh, two of the seven games since, since the all-star break, but there's going to be injuries. There's going to be, you know, ways that we, we don't know how long this will go where, where he's sort of in this role, but when he's on the ice, you notice him. He hits everything that moves. Um, he absolutely provides a spark. And- I'm curious. I'm curious. If he's still on the roster come the playoffs, will he still be the 13th forward? I mean, I they're giving Ernie and Joseph and these guys a chance to show what they can do now. But come playoffs. Mm-hmm. There was an interesting – and I, this, I may be off a game or two, and I heard this tonight. The yeah. Lightning are 43-7-3 and when Callahan scores a goal. Hmm. And I may be off. I may have that stat wrong by a game or two, but it's close to something like that. That's an incredible right. record. Well, and you know, you mentioned. I mean, the playoffs are a different animal, and you've mm-hmm. got some of these young guys like Joseph and others that that you know, it might be matchups, it might be game, it might be yep. series to series, it could be anything. But you certainly don't feel bad if Ryan Callahan is on the ice. I mean, I think he has all the experience in the world, so it may not end up this way. And he's played very, very well when he's mm-hmm. gotten his chance. 
It was good to see him play. I, I'll say this. Not many guys will be humbled like that and be willing to accept what he's accepted mm-hmm. um, and, and then go out there with his hair on fire. I mean, Stamkos had a quote, and I'm trying to think of what it was um, after the game that I thought was interesting. Um, he talked about, you know, Ryan Callahan being in a rotation of the of the forwards, and now he's number 13 instead of 12. But when Stamkos was talking about him, you know, he kind of said, you know, well, here's what he said. He goes, it's not fun. Let's just put it that way. He wants to be out there battling with the guys. He's an ultimate professional uh, where he's going to work his tail off. He says when he's not in the lineup, obviously we love what he brings when he's in the lineup, and he's been playing great. I mean, there's got to be a part of them that, you know, that feel like that feel bad for him and yet admire the fact that he's willing to put the team ahead of himself and still go out and play at that level. And these things usually work themselves out, but you're right. I mean, when you get in the postseason and you're talking about trust and matchups and who's playing well and maybe some of these rookies might tend to tail off at the end of a long year or the, or the playoff pressure builds. Well, and as the game changes know. in the playoffs too, with, I mean, it gets yes. a little tighter, it gets a little more physical, yes. it gets a little more digging pucks out of the corner and, and, yes. and making those kind of plays like that. where That's what Ryan Callahan does best. I'll be honest. I would want him on there. I just, I just would feel more comfortable if I was a coach mm-hmm. to know that Ryan Callahan is going to be on the ice for me in the postseason. I don't know who so you take off, does. but I agree with you. But I, but I just would feel better. So we'll see what happens. We're a long way from that. But uh, One more quick Lightning note on the Lightning, too. They are mm-hmm. the third team in NHL history to have 20 road wins and 20 home wins in their first 56 games. Wow. Only the 07-08 Red Wings who won the Cup and the 15-16 Capitals have done that. And they obviously didn't win the Cup because they were always getting beat by Pittsburgh in the second round at that point. That's tremendous. And did they sweep Florida, I think, this year? Is that right? They did. They've won six in a row against Florida. They won all four this season. That's pretty encouraging as well. So, yeah, good weekend for the Lightning for sure. Uh, We were at the Rays Fan Fest on Saturday, as were uh, Steve. It was a pretty good turnout, man. I think they said somewhere upwards of 14,000 or so. A much different Uh, buzz than last year. Sure was. Sure was. People are excited. And you know what? Rightfully so. This team, I mean, you don't have to forget they won 90 games. I mean, this was a very successful team, one of the better records in baseball. They missed the playoffs because, uh, specifically because of, of, of the records of the Red Sox and the Yankees. And the Oakland A's knocked them out uh, for the final final spot, I guess. Um, but there there is, a, there is not only just a buzz – um, sort of, you know, within the fans, which which is great because that's that's what fans should feel. Um, but you can feel it when you talk to the players and the coaches too. I mean, this is going to be a very confident uh, raised team. Now, you know, 162 games, a lot of things can happen, and and success is sometimes harder to deal with than uh, than, than than failure if you don't have any expectations. But we're going to be playing these interviews. Uh, we had a chance to talk to a number of players, uh, including Matt Duffy, you know, who. Uh, talked about what what he's done in the off season and trying to build strength because he had kind of a fall off in the second half. Uh, Charlie Morton, who's going to be an enormous addition. What a thoughtful guy. Uh, he was, I thought, an interesting interview uh, that I look forward for you guys hearing. Uh, Steve, you heard it. I, I thought, you know, this is a guy that really um, has had a career that's been kind of backwards. I mean, the, the the best pitching he's ever done is in his last two years, and yet he's played 12 seasons. Um, but a thoughtful guy, a guy that's been through a lot, and he's really embracing sort of being in the American League East and, and being with the Rays, being with a team that has this sort of upside. And then uh, talk to a young player like uh, Emilio Pagan, who's 
come over from the Oakland A's. It could be a back of the back of the bullpen type type pitcher, or it could um, be an opener that, for all we know. Who knows? Or, or very well might, might might work into that opening role as well. You're right, and he's very um, open to that. He is uh, interesting kid from from Carolina, and played on the Puerto Rican national team. Although his accent is purely Carolina, <laughs> purely Charlotte, and not uh, not the least bit uh, of his nationality there, but. Uh, and then, and then we talked to uh, to Kyle Snyder as well. Which, if there's uh, one guy that you know had an, an interesting and, and successful uh, sort of major league debut as a pitching coach, uh, it was Snyder. When you when you start with, of course, Blake Snell, um, who he takes almost no credit for, but he's very humble about it. Uh, of course, Blake told him a year ago in Seattle that he was going to be the best left-hander in baseball, and then was. Uh, so it's a credit to Blake and what he has done, but. Uh, a great job by by Kyle Snyder and, and sort of Kevin Cash and him uh, getting the buy-in that they needed from some of these young pitchers to, to use this opener concept. And uh, they're very excited about the arms that they have that they can throw out there. Uh, and they should be because, um, you know, they have some really, really good, good power arms and, and, and proven pitchers. And um, they'll probably go hopefully, you know, in a best case scenario, probably two of the five days with the opener. A concept uh, could that could be reduced to one, just depending on how how spring training goes and who emerges. And um, so we're going to bring you all of that over the next couple of weeks as uh, pitchers and catchers. Now they report on Tuesday. Is that right? That's correct. First workout will be Wednesday. Wow, baseball's here, man! It is. It's, ex- it's exciting. It's exciting. Exciting for the Rays and uh, and a lot of people uh, were were gracious and and uh, came up to us and and listened to the podcast. We want you to know we appreciate each and every one of you and we're excited about about Rays baseball. I mean, this is one of the things that we get to talk about, you know, for six months, Steve. I think both of us love baseball. Um, certainly was my favorite sport, played it growing up. Mm-hmm. You, of course, did a lot of broadcasting and things with uh, with the Atlanta Braves and, and, and other organizations. So um, and, and, and of course, with the Rays now. So it's going to be it's going to be a fun year. Um, despite what what may or may not be happening off the field with the stadium and all that, now that that stuff is in the future. And you know, as we've often said, the stadium stuff's going to get ugly before anything gets done, wherever it right. may be. But uh, as far as this season goes, I mean, after ninety wins last season, how can you not be excited? Yeah. And how can you, I mean, and, you know, Blake Snell coming back from winning the Cy Young, and, and he was the most dominant left-hander in the game last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you add Charlie Morton to the staff. Um, you're, you've only gotten more info and data on the opener and, and the pitchers buying into it. Um, you look at Tommy Pham for a full season. You're hoping Austin Meadows is going to make his mark this year. He came over in the trade right. for Chris Archer in the outfield. Um, right. You've got uh, Yanni Diaz, which you know they've been very high on for years apparently, which is why they traded Jake Bowers to get him from the Indians. Mike Zanino behind the plate. I mean, you know, everyone in baseball raves about how good of a catcher he is. Uh, particularly, especially handling staffs and, and the pitchers and that. So, and Kyle mm-hmm. Snyder talked about you know that too in our interview with him. So, uh, you know, a lot to be excited for for the race. We also talked to Ozzie Timmons, who's their their first base coach and and uh, and does a lot with the base running and is uh, sort of assistant hitting coach. And I asked him about uh, you know Kevin Kiermaier because you think about that outfield with Meadows and Tommy Pham, and then and then Kiermaier. And sort of how do you, if you play the way, the way Kevin does, you know, his biggest thing, of course, has been trying to stay healthy. Can he play, you know, more than 100 games, uh, that sort of thing. And he said, you know what you do? You trust your other corner outfielders. And I think 
they have guys that are that can all run and and are great defenders in in Fam and Meadows that uh, Kiermaier might have a little more trust uh, than he would say with Malik Smith or somebody like that. Um, and so uh, maybe that does help him in the long run. Tommy Fam, by the way, if you read the story in the Tampa Bay Times by Mark Tompkin, you can go to TampaBay.com and read that. Uh, did not walk back his comments at all about what he had said with respect to um, you know how, how difficult it is to play in front of 10,000 fans and uh, how you know how it was much much easier if you were in St. Louis where you draw three and a half million. The one thing he did say, however, was that he felt that that the uh, in general that he did a long interview uh, that mm-hmm. was uh, you know sort of narrowed down to this focus and really wasn't all that he had said. I mean, he appreciates each and every one of the Tampa Bay fans, and he thinks that that this organization, when when you're successful, especially, um, you know, should have the support and 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 certainly they want the support. Uh, from the fans, and they appreciate the ones that do go. Um, but he's not saying anything that that everybody else has already said. I mean, this is the thing. Like, uh, there there is no BS here. I mean, this is where this is this. These are all facts. You know, the the Rays do not draw whether they win or they lose, uh, and it is discouraging. I would think to be a player on the Rays and and you know look up and see how the other half lives, and then you come home and you know you've won six or seven in a row, and 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 if it's not the Yankees, the Red Sox. Uh, you're you're not drawing as many people. So uh, I thought he was honest. He didn't walk it back. He owned it, but he also put it in proper context um, that he wasn't being critical necessarily because he believes that this area, uh, you know, will support baseball. He wants it to. He, he likes being a Ray. He likes playing here. It's just that, you know, he was stating sort of the obvious and, and uh, for whatever reason, um, you know, felt like that, that the context of that interview was lost because not everything that he said about it uh, was included. So, uh, interesting story by Mark Tompkins. If you get a chance to read that on TampaBay.com. One more thing: USF has their first five-game conference winning streak since 1992. Right, how about that? They beat East Carolina in overtime on uh, Sunday night. They were down 13 in the first half and came back. And uh, pretty impressive what Brian Gregory's doing over there at USF. I mean, not an East Carolina team that they thought they would lose to, but they dug themselves a pretty big mm-hmm. hole. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, the, the whole thing is they got the W, uh, and they were able to fight and, and do that. And they've shown that kind of fight, of course, with the, uh, a couple of days earlier with the last second, you know, three-pointer to beat uh, SMU uh, at, at SMU, which was, which was another big conference win. So, look, I don't – I've heard different things. I've heard that, well, USF, you know, the strength of schedule, there's just no way – they can make the NCAA tournament field. I don't know. I mean, let's see what they do in the tournament. Let's, you know, in their mm-hmm. conference tournament, let's let's see um, just how it all shakes out. But you're right. Uh, uh, you know, Gregory has done an amazing job. And if this is sort of the start of a culture change, then, you know, hats off to him because these guys play hard. They play the right way. Uh, and, and they're winning. And uh, and now they, they certainly expect to win and have been winning. So, I hope more people go out and get a chance. I'd, I'd love to go out and see them play myself. Can't wait for March Madness and all of that, but we still got a couple months to go before we get there. So well, just a couple weeks, uh, not a couple months. We're not we're not that far away. A couple, yeah, we're, we're we're weeks away. You're right. <laughs> Jesus is February already. We're at February 11th already. This is unbelievable. Yeah. Valentine's is right around the corner. So yeah, we got lots going on here. Okay, so I hope that uh, you enjoyed the podcast and, of course, uh, the comments by uh, Coach Bruce Arians on Jameis Winston. Uh, There'll be more of that, of course, from my interview with him as the weeks go on. Uh, As I mentioned before, um, we were at FanFest. We had an opportunity to sit down with a lot of the Rays players. So as they 
Report to training camp uh, on Tuesday, pitchers and catchers, and first workout on Wednesday. We'll play more of those interviews uh, as we go along uh, this week. So uh, interesting weekend, to say the least, and uh, we're glad that you're with us each and every day. And remember, if you have a business and you would like to sponsor our podcast, uh, our sponsors have had a lot of success uh, lately, and we'd love to have you. You can reach us at SportsDayTB on Twitter, or you can reach me on Twitter at FL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great Monday, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.